The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture, but it's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. Oh yeah, you know what's up. Blue White Breakdown for Creeping towards mid-August, Bob Flounders and Dave Jones, Blue White Breakdown podcast, Penn Lies, Penn State football podcast. Dave and I were up in State College on Saturday for Penn State Media Day. We're going to get to his thoughts and his column on uh, Penn State's offensive line, some of their players, offensive line coach Phil Troutline. But first, Dave, let's I think let's just start Monday. They came out with the. Uh, the coaches poll, the initial coaches poll, and I know it doesn't mean anything, but it is interesting to note that Penn State did not make the cut for the top 25. Only three teams that Penn State will face this year made the top 25. I think Ohio State was second. Michigan checking in a little high, I think, at number six, and I believe Michigan State was 14. I think the, I think the uh, the voter the coaches got it right. I don't think Penn State should be in the top twenty five at the start of the season. I think they got a lot to prove, and I think you might feel the same way. Well, you know, these preseason polls are ludicrous. They're yeah. we all know that because they're always mm-hmm. reactive, you know, and and the coaches don't fill them out anyway most of the time. Yeah. The FIDs yeah. fill them out, so right. we know we know that. The other thing is, are we really going to say that you've been talking about the talent influx, the yeah. young talent influx in this team? If yeah. that takes hold at all, then are they really not going to be one of the top 25 at the end of the year? They'll probably be on the cusp of the top 25. And I would say, well, and, the, well, they were on the, they actually were like the second team left out. It was Iowa yeah. and then Penn State. But I'm saying, they, like, to me, a top 25 team, Dave, is a team that's got to face, that they have to finish at least eight and four. Now, I, I mean, if you go through the, the, the Penn State schedule, I don't know that I'm going to pick them eight and four, but I think that's how they're a top 25 team, if that makes any sense. That's probably about how I'll pick them as eight and four, because I, yeah. I think that talent will bubble up in the second half of the season. I mean, they've got, after Ohio State, they've got some games that, I, I mean, Minnesota at home is much different than Minnesota on the road. Michigan State at home is much different than Michigan State on the road. If mm-hmm. you wanted to have a couple of road trips at the end of the season, who would you pick? Probably Indiana and Rutgers. What we're talking about is games where everyone's out of the race and no one really gives a damn, except for Minnesota there. And I can't see Michigan State challenging for these titles, so I guess anything's possible. But So what you're talking about is a lot of wins there, probably, and that gets them up into 8-4 and four range. I, I just... Mm-hmm. I can't get excited about. I didn't even 
participate in the preseason Big Ten uh, media day, pre-media day thing because I just can't, I can't get excited about it. And I had other things going on in my life right then. Uh, preseason polls leave me absolutely cold. Polls yeah. of any kind now are, are kind of immaterial because we have a system in place where uh, there's only one poll that matters, and that's the college football playoff committee. And to me, mm-hmm. I think the committee and everything surrounding the committee is a lot more interesting than polls. Sure. I mean, you can, you can you can talk about this kind of stuff forever, but it's really just then it comes off as exactly what it is, which is boilerplate crap for August. And we don't have anything that we know in August. So we do this. I mean, I just don't like to waste time on it because how often have these things been correct? preseason polls. Yep. Remember when Horvath used to go crazy because Michigan was always in the top five of the poll, the preseason poll, as they almost are now. And they didn't do anything to deserve that. Crazy. All they did was beat <laughs> Michigan. That's, that's why they were in the poll. And it was ludicrous. And they yep. always lost their big non-conference game against whoever they played. And they always lost Narrow. their bowl game. And wh- what did they do yep. to deserve to be in the top five or even the top ten? Nothing. This team, I was looking through, by the way, uh, I wrote about this thing yesterday. This is a hell of a book. Yeah. This is like, the this is like challenging Phil. Yeah, he put it in a book this year. He's never been right. in a book before. And this thing is pretty remarkable. Um, it's, it's a lot of... Just mention the guy's name. Brett Ciancia, he's from Kennett Square here in Chester County. I gave him a Heisman book yeah. because... He's a, the kind of kid who just works his ass off. He has Penn State in his own preseason top 25 simply because of what we were talking about. But something else, I wrote about this for this morning simply because there's some pretty interesting nuggets in there about, uh, for instance, yep. Michigan and Nebraska. You'll enjoy this. I mean, did, did you understand exactly how historic – that yeah. last Nebraska season was. I mean, the the one stats loss, just keep one yeah, but the stats just keep pouring out about how legendary it was. I mean, I mean, they they were like plus one hundred per game in yardage. I think I've got that right. Plus eighty per game in yardage, and they went three and nine. That's that's <laughs> like statistically almost impossible to do. And yeah. now they got a new punter. From uh, Montana, uh, who's like averaged 46 yards per punt last year. And they've got mm-hmm. a new quarterback. Martinez is off to where, where the hell did he land? I forgot. I think he went to like the West Coast, maybe Washington, Washington State, Stanford, Oregon, something like that. He went, he went, yeah, west. he's at Washington, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So they've got a less turnover prone quarterback. I mean, who yeah. isn't less turnover? I, I love Martinez, but I mean, Adrian Martinez yeah. is, is a great kid, he seems like, and, and plays really hard and be, with belief. He just had a problem with fumbles a lot. Yeah. Did you also know, and Brett came up with this, that Nebraska has no team in college football in the last 18 years since, since the beginning of the Bill Callahan era has fumbled yes. more times, lost more fumbles than Nebraska. Hey, maybe things are looking up. Maybe they're going to go four and eight this year. Ta-da. I think they're good enough with a new yeah. quarterback if he works out, uh, the new yeah. kid, to really maybe even challenge in the West. Because the West is always up for grabs. 
It's always up yes. for grabs. The East is the problem. So th- that was that was one thing he was talking about. The other thing is Michigan's got a lot of their offensive line back. And what's your opinion, for instance, on how a personality of a of, of a team? You know, Josh Gaddis was supposed to go into Michigan and make them a spread offense, a nouveau offense. And then for two years, he just did, tried tried everything that didn't work. And basically, Harbaugh took the offense back over and recreated it in the Stanford mold that he had in uh, there a, a decade and a half ago when he was beaten up on Pete Carroll with smash mouth of Toby Gerhardt. And that's how they won the East. Ohio yeah. State didn't really like that too much. Anyway, they got like four of their offensive linemen back. They're adding two more, one through transfer and one through uh, a really good mm-hmm. recruit. And they're going to be hard to beat again because they've got both quarterbacks back. They've got uh, their, their Hassan Haskins, their most important feature back back. And uh, they're going to be they're going to be tough to handle. Hassan has- Haskins isn't back. Oh, no. Blake Quorum's back. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Not, and Haskins right. is gone. Yeah. Really, yeah. I just want to make sure. I love Hassan Haskins, but I think he's a Tennessee Titan right now. Yeah. And and uh, Blake Quorum's yeah. back. Uh, they they kind yeah, of split time between Quorum and Haskins last year. And Quorum, and Quorum is back and he's Mr. Outside. So maybe yeah. they don't have the power back inside. I don't think they need it, man. If they, you know, was, you know, what I was watching last night, it popped on out of nowhere, mm-hmm. which was yeah. the an Illinois football classic. What game do you think they had on? How many Illinois football classics I are there? Only like three Illinois classics from the last fifty <laughs> years. So was it, it, the it was last game? year's nine. It was last year's nine overtime game. This was an uh, Illinois football classic. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, oh. I, I, it was like seeing a train wreck and you, you can't turn away. And oh it, it, was, it was pared down to bite-sized pieces. And it's only, you know it's going to end in an hour. Unlike last year, you didn't know when it was going to end. <laughs> but, but what really, really, I, I actually rewound the, a couple of different plays, three or four different plays yeah. in slow motion and watched Penn State's offensive line. And they just... Don't get off the ball at all, Bob. I mean, there was a couple plays where if they made a couple blocks, if 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 they make a couple blocks, and I won't name names, but they're the usual yeah. suspects. They basically just stand stand up and run into somebody and get pushed back, and, and they can't get the one or two yards they need, and that was the difference in the game. And and it's bad, man. It it, it was bad football. Well, that's a great segue into. Our other prominent uh, topic for this blue-white breakdown. Let's talk about something you wrote. Uh, it ran Sunday morning on Penn Live. It was all about Penn State's offensive line and what you know what has to change. And you talked to James Franklin during the press conference about you know he's in his ninth year. And I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just going to paraphrase uh, your question. You can you can clean it up. But you said that James, you know, at at some point during your time, you've always had a near elite position group at just at about every position group, except for one, the offense, everyone, the the offensive line. You can look at Penn state skilled people. You can look at the quarterbacks. You can look at the secondary. You can look at the defensive line. You look at the linebackers, the kicking game at some point during his time at Penn state. uh, And sometimes more than one year, obviously they've been really, really good at just about every position, but one, the offensive line, and they just haven't gotten it done. And he doesn't even want to give him any praise anymore. He's tired of having egg on his face. 
So you you kind of you kind of dug in a little bit that on that topic, and then you went over during the the player and coach portion of media day. And you talked to Phil Troutwine and some of their players, and, and just talk a little bit about what you came away with and what you think. Well, the first thing I'll ask you this: when I was going through, you know, my typical forty second question, what how <laughs> how are you thinking Franklin would uh, greet that? And then what did you think when he did greet I it? The I, don't, did? I don't think he had any choice. But to just say, you know what, uh, you're right, because it's the evidence is damning, Dave. It, it, it's damning. It's embarrassing. Um, they just have not they have never, ever had an offensive line that could just line up in short yardage on third and two and consistently. They just have never been able to take over a game with their offensive line. And yeah. they, they, they should be better. They should be better. And they're not. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a long-time patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. And they haven't been close to anything other than adequate. I mean, you would say they were decent in what 2019? Yeah, the end of 2019. That uh, the I would say the the final month of the regular season and that bowl game when they finally committed to one running yeah. back, basically yeah. Ernie Brown. They 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 really it took flight. They did. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. And that's the that's yeah. the high water mark. What what I came away with is that Franklin's just as as frustrated by this situation as everyone else, yeah. m- maybe more so, and that he came right on and said, it's everything. I said, well, what is it? Why is this happening? Is it recruiting? Is it development? Is it scheme? What is it? And he goes, it's all that. It's all that. And um, and he went on for quite a while. I mean, and and the thing I, I went up to Troutwine, Troutwine is... Oh, People probably, I don't know how many people understand that he was a really good left tackle on Florida's Urban Myers 2, both, he started on both the 06 and 08 national championship teams. Uh, The second group in 08, when they were playing with Tim Tebow, uh, the the Mm -hmm. first group with Chris Leak as quarterback most of the time, and Tebow just coming in in certain situations. The second group in 08 with the Pouncey brothers, and he was on a really good offensive line. But I didn't even remember yeah. how good they were. They they were plowing people. You know what they averaged per carry in 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 08? Did you see that? I would say six yards a carry. Yeah, 5.9 yards a carry. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. They rolled up like 3,300 yards rushing. They could run on anyone they chose to run on, uh, including Alabama. And – they right. just did what they wanted. And there's a certain arrogance and a certain confidence that that gives you if you can do it. Wisconsin, right. for instance, they know who they are and they always try to do that. Iowa always tries to do that. Certain schools try to do it. I think that was in Harbaugh's DNA back to Stanford, like I said, and they yeah. did it. You remember what they did to USC? Just plowed them under in that, <laughs> uh, in that game in the Coliseum. What are you doing, man? Like- Huh? <laughs> What's your deal? What's your deal? What's your deal? Twenty-four, <laughs> and they were scoring in the final minute. Yeah, they scored twenty-eight in the fourth quarter, uh, <laughs> just because they could. 
because they could. You know, it's like Woody Hayes. Why did you? Why did you go for two or for fifty to fourteen? Because I couldn't go for three. Uh, it, <laughs> but you know, when you really get down to it, that's football. You can love the West Coast offense and the revolution of Bill Walsh forty years ago. But if you don't have that component in your game, it, it kind of a, a Bill a Bill Parcells kind of component in your game, where you yeah. can run when you need to and you're going to take what you want, then you're missing something in the whole package. And it's very rare, I think, that championship teams can't do that. You don't. You can be balanced, but I think that has to be part of the equation. So anyway, I brought up that Florida offensive line to Troutwine simply to get him on a positive track and maybe to get him to remember some good old days for him. And I had some ideas of what he would reference, but I, I said, can you, can you isolate like one or two games and what it felt like when you guys really had it rolling? And what did he pick out but the, the Ohio State game at the end of the 06 season, the national championship game, which was really yeah. more of a defensive game for Florida. The, the defense was the star of that game because they shut down Troy Smith. I mean, Ted Ginn yes. ran the kickoff back at the end, and then you didn't hear from Ohio State re- the rest of the game. They were just dominated, but they were also dominated on uh, Florida's offensive side of the ball. And he mentioned that. And then they tried to get back to what it feels like for an offensive line to be able to, to dominate a team like that and what it does for the whole team. And he started to smile and he started to talk about how it, it infuses everyone with a whole, with a whole confidence and everyone's clicking. And he says, there's just, there's just nothing like it. There's just nothing like it. And then I immediately said, what'd you think about your offensive line last year? Were they good enough in that category? You set the trap, you lured them in. I knew it. Good job. (laughs) He paused about four seconds. I mean, what could he say? And he said, well, I think we have to improve. So I guess the answer is no. And, (laughs) you know, it's really really on him. It is on him. Um, I don't know if... You, you know, Fashionu looks like a left tackle, doesn't he? That's that's the other Absolutely. thing. I did talk to him. He does. He, he, he what did you think of him? What 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 did really, you think of him? I was, you know, he reminded yeah. me of John Urschel and how intelligent he was. And he's got the black glasses on. It's always funny Correct. to see a football player in his full pads with with you know reading glasses yep. on. But he reminded me of of how intelligent he seemed and articulate. And but but the main thing is he looks rangy like a left tackle. And we've had a lot of guys at Penn State that look like converted guards at tackle the last few years that really weren't tackles. This kid at least looks like a tackle. Uh, And you have to be because you're trying to block uh, at at the at the top level. You're trying to block guys who are rangy, who have a lot of bend who try to use that leverage and man, you've got to, you've got to be strong and have, you, you got to have a mix of strength and quick feet, quick feet and be able to be flexible. So physically he looks like he can do that. Uh, but I'm telling you, they need across the board, a whole different infusion of just getting off the ball and getting low and getting leverage and cracking heads, man. That's, that's what they are missing. And they're, they're missing it. They've been missing it. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I will say uh, it's it's not an excuse, but the, I don't think Penn State's scheme helps them at all. The spread, you know, refusing to go under center and third, you know what I mean? If it's third and one and you're in the spread, 
and the other team thinks you're going to run the ball, you know, they're going to be in the backfield before you get to the line of scrimmage anyway. So I just don't, I just wish they'd be a little bit more flexible in their scheme when it's in short yardage. Like it's, it's okay. It's okay to put a tight end in at fullback and have the quarterback go under center. If you're, if you need to get a yard, I just, I just feel like it's, those guys are just being stubborn now because they, they just don't want to admit that it doesn't work in short yardage. Yeah. I, I always, I get, I get a lot of comments from readers about why don't they ever go under center? Why don't they put three backs? You know, that kind of stuff. Well, look, there really is no reason to go under center except for that short yardage situation. Yeah. But in that well, situation, it, it is important. You have to threaten the sneak, don't you? You have to yeah. use that. The quarterback sneak is a threat. It, it has right. to block up the A-gap, and it, it condenses the defense in the middle. If you don't have that and you're in the gun, yeah, I just think that's inflexible and a little bit strident in what you're trying to do. You can, you can, you need to be able to adapt to different situations in any offense. And I never understood that either. What about, I wanted to ask you, I think you had a chance to talk to Hunter Norzad, the, the kid from Cornell who is looking to compete uh, at some point and start, I think at one of the guard spots. Uh, he looks, he was, I know he was a good player on the FCS level, but you know what? The FCS level is not the FBS. But I mean, you got to, I think you got a chance to talk to him. What'd you think? Uh, what was your early impressions of Hunter? Yeah, guards are a whole different animal. And he, he, for what it's worth, he looks like a guard. Um, the question will always be, is he going to be strong enough to, to handle the, the really tough yeah. tackles and all the other chaos that you, in, in, you uh, encounter in the, in the A-gap in the middle of the line? And we don't know that until he starts. He seems... His attitude is, is he's a man of few words, a tough kid, and that's, that's how I found him. He, he was not going to, unlike uh, Fashionu, he was pretty much, he was waiting for me to say, which I never said, hey, you're from the Ivy League. Can you handle this? <laughs> I just yeah. felt that, that yeah. undercurrent underneath him. So maybe that's good. Maybe he's got a little, uh, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Chip on his shoulder. I'm not going to say it. I said You say it. Uh, yeah. Don't you say it. You have a chip on your uh, shoulder, Bob? When's the last time you had a chip <laughs> on your shoulder? And who got Robert it Conrad, Remember those Robert Conrad commercials? I dare you to not. I, I dare you like to not. And he's trying to be a tough guy. I was like, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> then he couldn't, he couldn't be Gabe Kaplan in the Battle of the Network Stars running the ankle leg. Like, he got smoked. <laughs> I forgot, I'd forgotten all about that. And then he was really angry. He was really angry after <laughs> Super angry. Yeah. We should have run William Conrad, not Robert Conrad. <laughs> Any <laughs> other, Dave? I just, I, I think you, you and I agree that this is Phil Troutwine's third year. He could be one of the top five recruiters in the country when it comes to the offensive linemen. He could be, but if what's the if it's not going to show up on Saturdays, you know. I mean, I don't see how he can stay. I, I think this is this is it for him. Um, I feel I think Mike Yersich has a lot to prove this year, but I think the guy that with the most to prove on uh, of all the assistants, it has to be Phil Troutwine. Yeah, what a what a. I mean, that really was the nadir of last season, that Illinois game last year, and it, it in another way, it was a microcosm of everything when things go wrong with this program that have gone wrong with this program in the last few years uh ever since you know i think 
the Joe Moorhead years kind of spoiled everyone, including James Franklin. He he yeah. somehow believed that could be replicated, and it 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 camouflaged all the weakness in their offensive line. Even then, and I thought I found it kind of ridiculous that he mentioned. You know, you talk about uh, a a Big Ten champion. How bad could we have been on the offensive line? So I'll disagree with you there. Well, you know that was that was no group of all stars. So you remember what they what happened at at Michigan and at Pitt. I mean, they well at Michigan especially they scored ten points and they were stoned everywhere. They they, they were beat up. Uh, Herb Hand kind of put that together with bailing wire. It was Herb Hand, wasn't it? It's been a while. I think I think Herb Hand was gone after fifteen. That might have been Matt Limegrover's first year. I think I want to no. say. No, I don't think so. He wasn't. I think I'll look it up for you, Dave. You keep talking. I'm going to look it up. Well, uh, it it might have been Lime Grover. Whoever it was did a hell of a job just patching it together. But it was it was a band aid solution. And they always they also had a couple of guys on that team who could mitigate free rushers coming at them and Trace McSorley and and Saquon Barkley. You don't have that every year. Those guys were so. It was Lime Grover. Uh, Hand was out after 15. Okay. Those guys right. were so elusive, so elusive, yeah. and and Barkley would just jump times, over guys. He well, would just jump times, over guys. How many? How many times did well, both of them? Their first step was sideways, just evading <laughs> somebody. I mean, yeah, it happened yeah. all the time, and people do forget that that Barkley had a lot of negative runs that year simply because of that. He couldn't evade yeah. everybody, and and he got a little used to going laterally instead of upfield yeah. because you get hit in the mouth enough trying to go straight yes. south, you're going to go east or west, which he did. That offensive line was no big deal, just like the rest of them. So, yeah. I, I would agree with you. Yeah. Dave was – I think James was just trying to grasp at straws at that point. And just he, I think he knew you had him beat, but he was just going to say we did win in big – but. It wasn't really the offensive line that was the catalyst for all those points. It, was it just everything wasn't. else. It was everything else. I mean, yeah. it was everything else on that offense. Every single yeah. you know, you're talking about elite level in position groups. That team yeah. had it all They're at all every NFL other players. Level. They're all NFL every, stars. Every other offensive level, including the tight end in Gesicki. I mean, yeah. the wideouts, the tight end, the backs, everything was in an elite level that year, and that mitigated the mediocre offensive line even parts of the defense were pretty damn good so i don't think but my earlier point was when when you get involved in an offense that explosive and dynamic i think it's seductive i think it's addictive and Mm -hmm. i think franklin's been trying to replicate that ever since and and sometimes your personnel simply doesn't dictate it you've got to play more station to station move the sticks football and and live with that. My problem with them is I don't think they know who they are anymore because they've been trying to follow that template. You remember early with Ricky Ronnie in 18, they were Ugh. still doing the basically the same thing they did under Moorhead and a little more in 19 with with Clifford coming in. And and since then it's just kind of all fallen apart and they seem to have have lost track of an identity. I don't see an offensive identity with this group. Uh, if you embraced a, a physical identity, if if you have the personnel to do it, then you do it. Uh, 
And I don't know. My second, my follow-up question to Franklin was, has the offensive line been emphasized enough? And right. he allowed that. You know, he allowed that maybe it wasn't. His answer was pretty involved, but he didn't disagree with it. He said that's a legitimate question. So maybe he's taking a broad look at all of this, and they should because it's the root of all their problems. I know, and I, I just think that you look at, you know, the first two months of their schedule, September and October, I, I mean, I like the fact that he, he recognizes some things, but until, Dave, until we actually see them, Against against in some in some in some games where they need to stay committed to the run, even when it doesn't go well early against teams they could lose to. I mean, it's it's to me, it's all just it's all just uh, noise until he actually they actually back it up, they actually hunker down and they stay committed to the run, and they pull a couple of these games out because there were just too many times over the years where they just went past crazy the minute they fell behind and they got I mean they they got trampled by Michigan's pass rush. They couldn't keep up with Ohio State, and it was just, you know, you, you talked about the Illinois game that they should have never lost, and the, uh, Illinois stayed with the run and ran crazy, and I, Penn State, I don't know what Penn State was doing at that, that game. They had a hurt quarterback, but to only score that, like, 10 points against that team or whatever they scored, it's just, it's just un, I, I want to see them actually stay committed to the run. With these running backs, there's no reason why – it might come on the twentieth carry and not the not the fifth carry of the game, but there's no reason why they can't create some big plays. You can't make Sean Clifford into something he's not, and yeah. he's not an elusive man. He's not an elusive athlete. <laughs> so, what does that mean? It means you have to feature the backs you have. They've got yeah. a, a top or two, a couple of top recruits. Use them. But what does that mean? They have to have the option of going to that sort of offense. And up until now, they've never knocked someone off the ball. In right. all of James Franklin's tenure, when have they ever just play, knocked people off the ball? It's never happened. It's never happened. And in, in order to commit, you have to have the wherewithal. They haven't shown the wherewithal. I think they've tried to commit, and it's, non, it's a non-committal offensive line you, you can't do it without the guys up front so it sounds like we're bashing on those guys and I guess in, in in one sense we are but I think it's an overall personality where you show them this is what they're committing to this is what we're committing to and we we need you we need you have they ever done that before that was my second part of my question that was my second yeah. part of the question have you emphasized it enough and have you shown these linemen that it's on them I don't know. Sounded like Mike Kern there again. I don't know. You tell me. I, I didn't even have to say it. I knew you were going to figure it out immediately. But yeah, you, you laughed because I sounded like. <laughs> um, I think it's. I just think it's a fascinating uh, plot to the season. Given they have, they're going to have to run the ball pretty well early in the season if they want to. They want to. They you know they got they got two of the first three games are going to be challenging. There's no question about it. Yeah, but, but Purdue them. at Purdue, that's a team you can run on, man. That, that's that's a team where, yeah. where you can own the game. I mean, they yeah. can be run on. They've always Jeff Brom wants to throw the ball and he wants you to throw the ball. You, he wants you to get you into a scoring competition. And if yeah. you don't decide that no, this is the way the game's going to be played, it's going to be a problem because they can't run the ball. If you can do it and they can't, 
And they yeah. don't even try to run the ball. They don't even try, usually. Uh, it's going to be Aiden O'Connell against the, the Penn State secondary, which is going to be a, a really interesting matchup. But if yeah. you, can, you can run the ball, you can really help your defense in that game. You can quiet down that crazy ross Aid Stadium crowd. And <laughs> well, it probably will be that night. I mean, don't, don't forget what they did with Ohio State, you know. I won't forget. Uh, I just want to see that big drum. I want to see that big drum, and I want to see that train, and I want to see Penn State run the ball like 40-some times a game. In that I want to see you. I want to see you driving the little locomotive with uh, your engineer's <laughs> cap on, like Dave, Steve I Martin. Think the jerk. Ex- I think Woo-hoo! we've exhausted. Time. <laughs> but I think I think this was a good podcast because I think we we talked about what has the Penn State fan base so frustrated, and I think Penn State's coaching staff. I think James Franklin's frustrated. So let's see. Let's see what they do early in the season. It's great to talk about it. It's great to commit to it in the spring and during August practice sessions. But when it's midway through the second quarter and the score 17-10 Purdue, um, are you going to stay with the running game, continue to run the ball the last 30 minutes of the game and win the game that way? Are you going to do it? I, I think that Penn State teams in the past haven't done it. I think this team needs to do it. I think you're right. And I want to see this offensive line, uh, you know, Get off the ball, win the game at scrimmage, or at, le- at least at least give it their best shot. It might take a couple games for them to get better, but I just don't want to see the same thing that we saw last year. The offensive line that started the season, they didn't look much different than the offensive line that finished the season, and that's a problem. Nope, Villanova. That was a good wrap-up, Bob. This is like an industrial film you saw when you, were, you had a substitute teacher in school, and you tell people yeah. what you're going to say, then you tell people – yeah. And then you review yeah. what you said to people. That was a, that was that was very good. Yeah, I yeah. like that. Well, I drank about fifteen beers before this podcast because I wanted to focus, and I think I nailed it. <laughs> and you seem completely unaffected, right. which, which stands to your tolerance. <laughs> yes, we will. Uh, we'll see you later in the week. Hope you enjoyed it. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Pen Live.